Hey everyone, take a listen to this message from our sponsor, SmartBear. Whether you want to load test your APIs or browser-based applications, you need to be able to easily scale up volume and identify problem areas. With Load UI and Load UI Web, SmartBear has you covered. Load UI is rockstar of API load testing. Using an intuitive, versatile design, Load UI gives you the power to scale up and out, letting you dial up high volume and real-world load from any number of local and remote computers. With Load UI, it's easy to create and configure tests incorporating all of your OS, application, database, statistics agentlessly. It's fully interactive too, so you can easily modify your tests and fix errors on the fly. Load UI Web is an astonishingly easy-to-use load testing tool for HTML, AJAX, and rich internet applications. Using a browser to naturally record your interactions with your website or app, you can scale up the number of virtual users, monitor server resources during test execution, and even distribute your test geographically. Reports and charts make it a breeze to explore aspects of how your site or app performs under pressure and ultimately pinpoint performance issues proactively. Load UI and Load UI web by SmartBear. Ensure outstanding performance across your entire web stack. It's time for Perf Bites. What the f*** is Perf Bites? The fourth square meal of the day. So full of Perf Bites. Waffles. Microwave ready. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Add value to your brain. It's time for Perf Bites with your hosts, Mark Tomlinson and James Pulley. Perf Bites! Whatever. Hey, it's time for Perf Bites. Once again, my Perf perf Bition listeners. Perf Bition, I like that. It's James and I, your life-size, full-form-factored host, Mark and James, welcoming you to a special gadget edition of Perf Bites. Go, go. Go, go, gadget. Go, go, gadget. Mark, what geek doesn't love their gadgets everybody loves gadgets that's why they're taking off like crazy and here we're going into the holiday season in 2014 and the predictions are it's going to be like gadget explosion everything everyone's going to be running every kind of gadget that there is of course apple just announced the apple watch and and motorola almost at the same time about a week earlier announced the moto 360 watch which was part of the google wear the Google oh, Wear, Google, you yeah. Google Glasses, you can have a Google yep. Watch as well. So you have your Motorola, Google uh, rings, nose rings, maybe a belly button ring. You could have a, g- a gadget. You could get your I, I, e- email I, I, on I your belly button. I don't, wanna, I don't want to go there about the vibrating belly button ring. That, that could be, be that could be a very exciting thing. Very, you could be bored. You know, work is boring. You should, you should have, you should have a belly button ring that vibrates when you get an email. That's exciting. But you've also got things, you know, uh, James, you and I have done this work in the past in uh, with Nike, with our friends out in Nike. And so we got the fuel band, right? That's been yeah. around a long time. They've really, they're kind of the forerunner actually in a lot of these, um, you know, cardio um, health data, real time stuff. So the Nike fuel band, there's also the Fitbit is another one. True. I think there's True. something you mentioned one called the pebble. Yeah. The pebble, pebble was kind of a community uh, inspired device. It, it connects up with your Android operating system and and has small applications that run on it yeah so so all of these items have have some characteristics in common mark well one of course they're cool because they're gadgets yeah they're gadgets it's very good who doesn't want to be james bond with like the super multifunction watch that's a laser and get your email Uh, excuse me but that's like dick tracy you know with the little 
video. Oh, yeah. Or or um, uh, get smart with the with the shoe phone shoe phone right. The phone. I, I, I tried that once, but a bunch of people stared in a in a uh, train in D.C. Yeah, the guy standing there talking and in, talking into your shoe, kind of yeah. crazy. So uh, these these aside from being cool, similar to like we have an whole episode that we did on mobile performance for like mobile phones and tablets. These gadgets are even smaller. But they still run apps, just like other apps, like on an Android operating system, right? True. And there's a lot to be learned from mobile when we start looking at these, these gadget devices. And I think what in, what's inspired this conversation, Mark, is since Apple made its announcements earlier this week, I've had a ton of questions of, how do I test a watch? And does this tool <laughs> support watch testing? And does that tool support watch testing? And this vendor hasn't issued a press release, so they don't support watch testing. And I'm like, come on, guys, let's let's draw back a little bit and let's look at architecture and take a look at what's going on with the gadgets, how they're put together, and and what we can use from our existing foundations to test them. Yeah, because this is, you know, let's be honest, uh, the basic architecture of a gadget um, is going to still, it's a mini computer. So you've got to have some kind of processor built into the front end, right? So usually a gadget has a user interface of some sort, like a watch or the Google glasses are a good example, right? There's a user interface right in front of your eyeball. Uh, And then the the actual way you interact with the app is through gestures and other kinds of things which is pretty cool, touching the actual side of the glasses. So there's some kind of input. And like anything in performance, if the first thing we think about is response time, the user interface is really the, the key part of that first experience of a gadget. When you boot it up, how long does it take to log in? How long does it take to set up? How long does it take to do something? Um, and usually, much like any app, the gadget itself is the client. And the, so the second part to think about is that traditional request response kind of framework. So if you just think about it those two ways, the gadget app user interface, as well as the backend round trip to the rest of the app, it's very similar to any kind of mobile app uh, or any, you know, even to client server model still applies sort of at a very high level. Um, and, and, and what we're seeing with these gadget applications, it's maybe a little bit different than the traditional phone app. Yeah. is the gadget apps tend to operate in a somewhat disconnected mode. So yeah, more, like more, a, a more, fit, disconnect, more disconnected than connected, generally. Yeah, yeah. So, so think about a, a Fitbit. Uh, think about a calendar app on a phone. It's going to synchronize with your calendar occasionally. But hopefully it's not going to be constantly syncing 100% of the time. It, it'll sync with your phone periodically for updates. but this actual connection all the way back to the server, either directly or proxied should be uh, sporadic in nature. Yeah. You know, kind of, kind of respectful for the bandwidth, you know, th- think of the Apple campus, you know, everybody gets an iPhone on their desk uh, the day after it, it ships and everybody puts it on all at once. Uh, what happens to the Wi-Fi connection in the office? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It just goes it, nuts. It, it could happen. Yeah. So, so I think if we start at the very high level, if somebody says, Hey, let's say you're a a tester and and the product owner or business person comes and says, we're going to launch our app on Google glasses. 
And like good performance testers are always kind of talking about what's the real world situation, right? So um, again, if we're looking at, will this app as a use case even make sense for this gadget? So let's say um, you had a proprietary gadget in a 24-hour fitness, planet fitness gym, YMCA kind of thing. And the only place that those gadgets were going to be used were right there in the gym, maybe has power over RF, Wi-Fi, plus it has sort of a dedicated, always connected, always on kind of Wi-Fi connectivity. That app, if you started designing it to be mostly offline and invested in all this other, you know, one size fits all kind of gadget asynchronous capability, boy, if the gadget is going to be mostly connected all the time, then use the connection. There's no sense in actually building the gadget the otherwise. Vice versa, if you're going to build a a gadget that is connected on Bluetooth while you're going on a run for 15 miles, mostly disconnected, wow, you're going to chew up a lot of battery juice synchronizing when, you know what, I'm just running. I'm not looking at the gadget. I just want to strap it on or put it in my shoe and go for a run. And so I can be mostly disconnected, but sync up my data when I get home. So building, you know, thinking about the context for the performance of the app, where it's going to be used and how it's going to be used, connected or disconnected, you're right. It's very different than the way we think of a phone. Phones now we think are almost always connected. It's a, it really is a mini portable computer. They're hardly ever disconnected, right? Yeah. So, so Mark, I have a, a Nike fuel band. Yeah. Probably not surprised, but, yeah, but I've, I've got one because, you know, I'm a gadget guy. Got to have a gadget. Yeah, And, um, you know, I can have that thing on, I can be doing stuff all day long and then I can choose when I sync up either through an app on my phone or plug it into my, my desktop computer and sync up that way. Yeah. You know, it's not, uh, it's not a situation where I'm going to have this constant behavior going back and forth. And, um, so, so think about that from, a, a, as you said, a use case perspective, you have this synchronization activity that takes place. It may be of different sizes uh, depending upon when somebody syncs, whether it's uh, daily, weekly, monthly, depending upon the application and such, how much data yep. is flowing. Um, or if the developers have snuck something in there that maybe forces a sync on occasion. Yeah, there could. you want to watch out for those people who aren't really thinking about being totally disconnected mobile. Um, keep in mind these gadgets, the majority of them have very small batteries. So they use typically very low powered processors. So they're not known for being super responsive, interactive, but they build incredibly lightweight OS, uh, and app infrastructures that run, you know, on very, very low powered processors. So that means you need to watch out for any runaway code, something that's stuck in a loop, something that chews up the CPU, uh, and you might have to get into to the proprietary kernels. Like if you go into Android, Android and you're looking at and uh, debugging the tools in there, Xcode for an iPhone app like you used to, some of these other uh, operating systems that are running on the gadgets are totally proprietary. So it's really hard to assess uh, other than just battery juice. Like if the battery juice is going down really fast, that's a good indicator that you're chewing up the battery, uh, chewing yep. up the processor. Um, another way to look at it is is uh, screen brightness. So if they have any kind of brightness, like the fuel band is very efficient LED kind of lighting, I think, to to minimize very low voltage uh, display. The yep. Google Watch and even some of the, we've seen these other uh, 
uh, Windows has the other watch one. They're very bright display. Um, and, you know, any pixels, any any kind of drawing or display lighting, that chews a battery as well. So keep in mind, power uh, is a is a commodity. It's a very sh- small, a uh, very limited commodity. On and a and not only device. that, Mark, but uh, when, when you start biasing end-user performance, if you're low on battery and a request is made for the display, Something has to give something and that might be your Bluetooth connection to your, your phone uh, cuts down to a lower speed. Your Wi-Fi connection cuts down to a lower speed. Yeah. Your cell connection drops and prefers Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. So all of these things can have an impact on performance, particularly if you're, you have some sort of dynamic data exchange going on at that period. Yeah. So when, when, um, if we think about the app itself, the CPU, the disk, the memory network, and the power on the device, that changes depending on whether you have full power, middle of the road, medium power, or almost out of power. The workloads on the back end might be different. Like if the battery is going down, you might see some shutdown, some writing stuff into flash memory, or actually submitting stuff across the wire. Keep in mind the back end of these apps, if even if they're going over Bluetooth to the phone device, Ultimately, almost all these gadgets are connected to the internet. That's what makes them so cool. So what's, James, I mean, a lot of the infrastructure in the back end I'm seeing is just web service type infrastructures on the back end. That's not so different. Right. You know, so if we take a look at the architecture, we peel away the shell of what's going on on the GUI. Even if the connection is via Bluetooth, proxied through a phone or across HTTP or cellular, these tend to be web services applications because it's not very efficient to bring an entire website to the disk-connected device. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a, a rendering, which is local for the user interface. Then we have a web services interface for the actual synchronization of data going back and forth. And that synchronization could be over Bluetooth to the local phone where I'm pulling the calendar from the phone, mm-hmm. in which case that's not really a testable use case uh, because we're not going back to a server per se uh, for our traditional performance tests. But if we're exchanging data uh, with a remote service of some nature, um, say we are synchronizing our calendars with our colleagues as a part of Google Calendar or Microsoft Exchange or yes. or other services, then absolutely, then, then we're going to want to track those data flows, pull them, and represent them somehow. Yeah. So the the success of an application from a performance, a gadget application, a gadget app, uh, from a performance perspective, is that you can deliver the minimal amount of data to so, to uh, satisfy the end user in the use of their gadget without having to chew up CPU, without having to go across the wire. Um, so as you're testing, um, and we'll get into next, we'll talk a bit about you know how you can actually design a good performance test for these kinds of apps, James. Um, but also think about um, you know using the tools you have. Uh, to work in these gadgets, which is a real dilemma. I had a recent interview with um, uh, Raj Subra, Raj Subramanian, um, on STP Radio, talking about his research for just mobile testing and finding yep. vendors that could support different tools. And he's like, "It's a, it was a total crapshoot." It was like, you know, one vendor supports one thing, another vendor supports another. Um, I'm thinking about um, needing to instrument the application. Um, in order to capture these HTTP requests, which is really a tall order for most devs. So I think James. Oh, oh, oh using- no, no, Mark. I, I, I think leveraging our expertise and, and how HTTP is architected, 
we can stick a proxy out there and capture these things and almost all the tools support it. But, but gosh, a lot of developers don't know to ask that question. Yeah. Do you support a proxy recording model so they don't have to build the instrumentation right into the tool? Right. And that's, and that's sort of the difference. If you're talking to someone, you need to know, again, both of those parts. Do you want to test the performance of the application on the gadget itself? Or do you want to test the, the, the backend calls, the network and the server calls for concurrent load of those gadget workloads? And those are two different exactly. things that actually fit together really well. And HTTP proxy recording works really well. The, the thing that drives me nuts, James, is you'll find people that come to the table and say, um, well, I recorded the traffic and then off they go and they just test the network and the server and they completely forget about things like the power state. They forget about disconnected behaviors. They forget about, they do a pristine recording once, but they don't redo that recording under low Wi-Fi. Uh, they don't redirect uh, that traffic and see that it's actually different if you're connected through a uh, phone versus connected direct through Wi-Fi. So apps so, behave so, differently now, depending on what gadget connectivity you have. Yeah, if we look at that resource map of the CPU, disk, memory, and network, the one that is most heavily biased on the gadget side is network. And just like mobile. because Just like mobile. And just like mobile, you need to be looking at how you're going to have an impairment model for your users, which represent how they're connecting. Because these mobile devices, these gadgets, they all have a longer latch time. That is a hold on the resource on the server when they connect. And as a result, a smaller number of mobile and gadget devices by extension can take down a server than desktop. Yeah. So, James, let's come back uh, after we chat, uh, after we have a word from our sponsor, um, and then um, let's talk a bit about how folks can change up their design of a load test uh, for these gadgets. Are you ready? Yeah. Hosting for perfbytes.com has been provided by NUCO, New Centers of Excellence in Performance Engineering, PowerTest Professional Services, The Script Farm, LoadRunner by the Hour, Videra Tech, Cloud Architect, and No Load Test. For more information, go to www.newco.com or call 703-856-8187. Beautiful. Special thanks to the Nuco guys. Um, all right, so Perfbytes Perf listeners, the um, the way you are traditionally planning a load test, which is to sit down and design, uh, you know, what are your top five transactions and what are the response times that you want for those transactions and what should we, how many users of each type and how often are they going to do what they do? All of that still applies to testing gadgets. You just, the, the client is the only thing that's different. Um, but for the backend systems, the behavior is going to be different. That load is not going to be as constant because again, a lot of these gadgets are disconnected. So what you'll see is uh, for a single virtual user that it'll sort of wake up and maybe synchronize a bunch of stuff and then do a bunch of very small things. And James, what you brought up was, you know, sort of look for a sort of small workloads or payloads 
um, for the normal traffic. But then every now and then you're going to have this burst of, oh, a gadget. I got a connection to the Internet. Boom. I'm going to you know, resync and send a bunch of data, which is very different than kind of the, you know, even pacing that you might see from a web type traffic. Right. Right. And, and you, you have to worry about these gadgets that have different synchronization models. Um, if you have a user based synchronization model, then for, say, uh, um, Fitbit, as an example, mm-hmm. you might be synchronizing at certain times of day related to people working out. So you might have these bubbles in the morning where people are syncing and a bubble in the afternoon, late afternoon, yeah. as people are syncing their behavior. Uh, but if you have a, a calendar application, which maybe is a push app of some nature, that is, it gets, it gets pushed from the application to the phone and then your, your, your Moto 360 watch syncs with the phone, then, you know, that's a different animal in that case where, where the synchronization and, and, and actually synchronization could be bi-directional in that case. I create mm-hmm. a new calendar to on my phone and it goes to the internet and it goes to the watch and there's no additional data flow there. Right. Right. The, the other thing I'm thinking is that, you know, don't forget part one that we talked about, the first part, which is the user interface. The where, When do I stop the stopwatch or the gadget watch? No pun intended. The um, you, you know what I mean? So if you've never observed how real people are going to use the gadget in the real world, you don't really have that full understanding of when even the back end traffic comes all the way back to the device. It, you may be just capturing the traffic that ends up on the phone but there's actually even a few more, maybe even a couple of seconds before it appears on the gadget over Bluetooth. So, or, or the, the gadget can actually make use of this information uh, if you're proxied through or your traffic is going from Bluetooth and then, you know, basically tunneled through that. And, so, and Mark, yeah. this, this is where it's critical to get an understanding of how your, your users are going to use your device, your gadget, yeah. with some sort of in the field beta or alpha you know, give it to your employees, let them go out. Don't tell them how to use it. Don't tell them how to sync. Yeah. Just, just, just get them, have, have some natural behavior going. And this is where an examination of the, that 100% of user load in your web logs is going to be extremely valuable because you're going to be able to see where the requests are, which are distinct to your gadget, where they're coming in and how much data is going back and forth. Right. And, and, do, I, I think people should actually go watch, especially because the gadget is so tactile, different than sitting at a static location like a desktop or a laptop. Go actually watch, go to a tech conference where there's people walking around wearing Google glasses and see how they respond to information. And I, I was talking to this guy once who's who's got the glasses on well, and he's talking Mark, to me and um, you could see um, him all of a sudden look to the corner and he's completely distracted and stopped talking to me. And I'm like, Okay, well, you just what what are you watching? It was very awkward. It's very antisocial, I think. Uh, Mark, I, I think we know how they react. That's why they have the nickname they have. Oh, that's okay. Okay, good. <laughs> that, that that would be Glass Angels. Yes, yes Glass Angels. So, yeah, they're very geeky. So go watch somebody use uh, Nike Fuel Band's a good example. Let's say we're going to go to a, a gym, the YMCA, go to the Planet Fitness and actually watch people who do they ever interact with it? Do they put the fuel band on and just forget about it? And is that really the goal? I mean, is that how the gadget is supposed to work? Um, now we look at an Apple watch. If you build an app that goes on an Apple watch, um, 
Is it, you know, do your users bring up the application and interact with it? Or do they punch a couple buttons and then go about their business? Set it, I mean, here's, it here's a really good question. Does the Apple Watch replace um, the iPod or the iPhone in that case when they're going to work out or do other things? Sure. You know, so now we're synchronizing our Bluetooth headphones to our watch versus synchronizing to the iPhone or the iPod. You know, we have a smaller set of data. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know if the i if if the iPhone can do this. So I'm just hypothesizing here. Mm-hmm. You know, we we've downloaded you know 15 songs to the uh, iWatch. We're going to sync over Bluetooth, and you know now we don't have to carry the the iPod Nano, the iPod, the i iPad, the uh, you know iPhone or anything else with us. Yeah, <laughs> i something. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, the, also, the, the i device universe. Yeah, the i device universe. But also think about the connected or disconnected worker who's, you know, I remember like the UPS guy coming around or the FedEx guy and their gadgets, you know, they had full tablets for a while and then it got smaller and smaller and smaller. And you know the productivity of an employee who just needs information like notification through the watch. Um, Hey, here's, you know, here's your next appointment, whatever. It's not, you're not getting reminders from your phone anymore. You get a reminder from your watch. Which is and, not so and, different and than the Timex way, from 40 years ago used to set a beeper and all of a sudden. There's one class of gadgets that we forgot to mention. So I guess I should bring it up now, which are these disconnected cellular credit card terminals. It's the same type of, of, of situation. You have web services call. Um, sometimes they're synchronized through the phone. Uh, once again, you know, it is a, it's, it's a gadget device. So let's come back to that in a second. When we talk about, um, talking about the security stuff, if you're designing a performance test for the gadget, um, again, the backend systems, the will be very similar to web services test kind of business as usual, but the patterns or the workloads would be different. Think about also what is the operating system and the devices. Let's say you're building Android app. Well, there's a whole bunch of those Google Wear devices. Which gadgets are you compatible with? Which ones are you targeting? Does your product owner know all the uh, compatibility that that your app needs to have? And then start, we talked about observing the workload in the real world. And then I think also um, you get back to the network again. If you're designing a test for any kind of mobile app, especially on a gadget, and you're doing load testing or you're emulating that traffic without the network impairment, um, the HP network virtualization, the old Shunra stuff, um, or any other kind of uh, network impairment that you can, packet loss, latencies, um, different bandwidth constraints, um, connect, different connectivity profiles, switching from Wi-Fi to, to a Bluetooth, to a cellular, 4G, 3G, something like that. So if, you're, if you don't have that network impairment in your test, you should... Yeah, I'm 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 a big proponent of testing in the in the worst possible impairment. Yeah, because if the app can survive that, it's probably going to do fine in the full mode. Exactly. Uh, I think perpetually we're we're always recommending that it, as the performance tester to build good relation with your brethren, brothers and sisters across the. Take your architects and developers out for pizza and a beer. Yes. See if they really understand. The, how the app is going to perform in the real world. Have they thought about how, you know, what if the gadget really takes off this Christmas two days, maybe Christmas Eve or uh, Christmas morning, you're going to have a flood of setup traffic. So what's the overhead of the initial setup? 
maybe even people have seen the gadget is fine, but the user setup phase on a regular website web call brings the site down. So we don't want to talk about you on the news of the damned on December 26th this year as you launch your gadget. There are different phases of use with these gadgets, and sometimes the setup cost can be really, really high. So maybe having one scenario, which is like day one scenario, 4,000 users all setting up and using the gadget uh, for the first time is very different than a day 10 or day 30 scenario where everyone's already kind of got their profile set up and everything's in the groove and the payloads maybe are much smaller for synchronizing. Um, I can think of several manufacturers for certain gadgets in the past that just never thought about the day one scenario where nobody had, had to fully flash all of the latest, greatest uh, microcode, the bytecode on the uh, on the device itself, uh, and all of that brought the system down in day one. So make sure you know your game day scenario there. A- absolutely, take a clue from Ethernet, the collision multi de- uh, multi detect and uh, retry. So if if you try to get a connection and you can't back off and try at random intervals, don't just continue to try to pound the server. Be respectful from an mm-hmm. application on the network basis. And, you know, beer and pizza always works. Uh, um, you know, alcohol loosens oh, the man. lips. They'll tell you all their concerns. Um, food, you know, way to a developer's heart is through their stomach. Absolutely. Um, feed them, beer them. You get, you get the right answers. That'd be good. So as you're designing any good performance tests, gadgets or otherwise, you're going to want to think about um, also monitoring and how do I optimize this app? And James, you kind of just talked about one there, which is, if we have some sort of reconnect scenario um, and you don't want to have this static sort of rollback kind of reconnect storm, um, you see this in Gmail, actually. If the client, the asynchronous client within Gmail, if you're using it, it'll say, cannot connect, trying again in seven seconds. Yeah. And then if that doesn't connect, it, oh, trying again in 33 seconds. So it actually yeah. takes, you know, th- this, is, this is also really critical and, and, and you know what? That algorithm is done. It's baked. It's well-known. It's well-understood. You know, there's a big, long, like, 14-digit character algorithm label for it. It's collision, <laughs> multi-detect, blah, 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 blah. Exactly. But it's, it's, it's basically the basis of Ethernet. Yeah. If you roll that into your app, you know, you don't get a connection in 10 seconds. Cut it. And, and then, you know, back off, retry, back off, retry until you get a connection to avoid that storm. But think about it differently for the gadget is my point. If you're sitting on a desktop with a web or a server with a network connection, you have almost unlimited power and unlimited capability. With a gadget, if it just sits there and retry, 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 you're going to, in some kind of a loop, you'll probably burn out the battery. So when you finally do get a connection, you want to have plenty of battery juice available in order to complete the transaction. Um, Also, you have limited disk space. So let's say... In a strange way, you're kind of keeping track and maybe there's a memory leak or a log of some sort that's actually kind of adding. Every time you resync, you might fill up the space because you have limited space. So gadgets really can benefit from this multi-detect resync kind of logic that you describe. And it's not just Ethernet at a physical layer. I think that logically as an app layer, you know, we leave a gadget. Hey, I took my Google glasses off for dinner and I just set them or I uh, went went on the train and suddenly I'm out in the country where there's no connectivity. Yep. It, it actually could be 30 minutes or an hour 
before I can actually resync. So please don't chew up my battery and my CPU just trying to trying to do that again. Um, when it comes to monitoring, and this is the this is my big slam against us as an industry, where a lot of the tools for these gadget operating systems, you have to have some sort of like developer interface or an admin interface, maybe a raw system interface to the device in order to measure things like CPU, disk memory, and network. Those are the things that we want to monitor. And like I mentioned before, sometimes the only way you can sort of infer uh, that there's a chewing up of the CPU is because the battery juice is going down so fast, the percentage battery usage goes really high. So to monitor the device itself may take some extraordinary effort. And there are some toolkits out there, obviously, with mostly software developers know these toolkits, um, like, for instance, you, doing an Xcode interface to a connected iPhone, you can start monitoring things like memory usage and CPU and that through the APIs that are connected on the device. A lot of people check these things through emulators. If there's an emulator, that's it's valid. It's not the same as a physical device, but it'll give you at least something's better than nothing, right? Yeah, and it'll it'll tell you if you, it, it'll tell you if you've got a, a code leak. That that's for certain on the on the emulator. Uh, at least, and, and like again, it's better. Better than not being able to see anything at all. You, if it's certainly not going to work well in an emulator, it's probably not going to work well on the device either. Because um, I think we're going to a more constrained, uh, constrained model once we get physically running. Um, power usage is still, I think, the biggest thing. Outside of network, James, I think with these gadgets, power is probably a big, big concern. Just because even though lithium batteries or, or other types of battery cells uh, energy cells have gotten more efficient. It's still limited space. Like I'm, I have a battery inside my glasses frame. There's just limited physical space to have a battery. And the one thing we hate, unless we can fully get the Tesla model for charging over Wi-Fi, which you know we do have wireless charging, it's just not that efficient. Hopefully that'll get better. But monitoring, you know, use the app for five minutes and measure the battery. Use it for another five minutes, measure the battery. And this is where Gene and Harrison would do a marvelous job of telling us exactly how you would monitor these things physically as well. And, and she would let us know what we're missing in the discussion as well. I, I know. She's good at that. Um, a couple of the other things you talked about data flows again, James. So if you're going to monitor the network usage, this is, this is maybe where we might want to encourage people to have your simulated load through virtual users through your load testing tool, uh, load runner or whatever tool you're using. But then also monitor a real connected user uh, through, let's say you can monitor the Wi-Fi interface or maybe you come through uh, like some Connectify and some of these things you can put on your laptop. So the device connects to your laptop Wi-Fi and then you monitor the, the bytes going through or you can even proxy that through Charles Proxy or Fiddler or something. You could see that traffic actually going through the laptop. And what kinds of things would you look for in a data flow, James, that would send you off? Well, well, one thing is I want to make sure that they're as small as possible. Absolutely. Everything has got to be compressed. You're, you're on Bluetooth or you're on other networks uh, that are, are very low bandwidth. Compress everything. Mm -hmm. Since also you're kind of in the wild and there are people out there that have, you know, Bluetooth sniffer like devices, always encrypt the conversation. If at least it's going from the device to your phone or the device to the next upstream link. Make sure it's encrypted. I also want to see that it's web services. I don't want to see a get or a post. I want to see a really small request, well-defined. And actually that has benefits to us from a performance test and performance engineering perspective, 
because those web services requests are usually well-defined in advance of when the device is actually available for testing. We have the capability of testing early and often and, and engaging in this shift left process where you know, you can have developers doing some sort of, of really pound the snot out of it testing with, let's say, a J-meter or a grinder or something. Mm-hmm. And then as you move through the, the life cycle, get more business-level testing or user-level testing a little bit later, which may or may not use the same tool depending upon the needs of the team and reporting and stuff. Exactly. So you may know what the infrastructure is before the app is even complete. You can make sure that that's fully scalable, responsive, and ready to go before you actually hook up real devices. But don't forget that once, if your simulation is off by a little bit, you still want to observe what, a, what that real device looks like. Let's suddenly, and day one, boom, there's a huge sync to download a bunch of stuff to the app. Um, or if you're disconnected for 24 hours and the first sync after that, what does that mean? Um, and then the interactive stuff, depending on what kinds of sites or what kinds of calls are going to be made, look at Google Glasses, right? They're going to do a Google search. Well, they have a very, very homogeneous Google search page that delivers payload back to the glasses. It's not, you know, obviously, if you do a Google search, it's pretty pretty much a normalized kind of behavior versus just wild surfing of any page on the Internet. So uh, thinking about what kinds of calls are going to be made by a user with the gadget are they really going to be surfing any old page on the internet from their from their iWatch, uh, or are they really looking for sort of more conformist, normalized kinds of interactions? Um, so yeah, web services is probably exactly the uh, the type of infrastructure that's going to be on there. Um, so that's kind of gadget performance. Um, we didn't go too deep into it because it's also very similar to mobile, and I think our previous episode on mobile performance went a little bit deeper. Um, but, um, you know, if there were a couple of two, three pieces of advice, what, what are the things off the top of your head, James, that you want people to take away? I, I would say, uh, strip away the architecture. Odds are, you know, greater than 90 plus percent of the time, it's going to be based upon HTTP. So you should have a great foundation of, of work that you can draw from for how you're going to build these tests from a technology standpoint. Don't be scared of it. And you know, talk to the business owners. When they ask, can you test watch? Ask them specifically about the architecture. And odds are you'll get the answer. It's based upon web, web services, then the, and then it's an easy answer. Yeah. And a lot of people try to just copy and paste their iPhone app onto a watch. And it may not actually be the same experience at all. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's not going to work in that case. Yeah, in that case. So my advice is also just, um, to be aware that you're going to have challenges if you try to get onto the device itself. Um, and for that, we maybe invite Gene Ann to come talk about it or come join us at STPCon. We'll have a scotch and talk about how you crawl into some of these devices through the, through the, uh, uh developer interface or a, a system terminal, um, which would be very cool. Well, hey there, PerfBytes listeners. Once again, you've come to the end of another thoroughly minimized and gadgety episode of PerfBytes. And as always, we'd like to thank you for sincerely taking the time to listen to the show today. Mom, thank you for tuning in. You're back from the beach. I know you've got a busy weekend unpacking. Thank you very much for tuning in. Yes, and I will always give my uh, extended thanks to the sexy Irish voice of Perf Bites who was washing clothes earlier tonight. I had to turn off the laundry. I got to. And of course, special thanks to our sponsors, the Smart Bear folks with Load UI, Soap UI, and all the exciting things that Mr. Barber is doing up 
in Boston. Uh, quite a commute he has going back between Florida and Boston, you know. Yeah, that, that is a heck of a commute. You know what? He could he could take advantage of what it, what our episode is powered by today, Mark, which are reruns of the TV series Firefly. And of course, please remember that the content of this Perf Bites is copyrighted and protected, just like the earring-based collar notification that is currently in my left earlobe. Wait, excuse me. Hang on. I, you, whoop, I'm getting a meeting request. It's in my ear. No, it's... I, I was wondering what that buzzing sound was. Yeah. No, you can, you can look at the earring, but you cannot touch because otherwise you'll uh, accept another meeting invite. I can't do that. For more information about Perf Bites, please visit the show's website at www.perfbites.com. Or follow us on the Twitter and the Facebook. And of course, you can always tune in and subscribe uh, through iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or probably, you know, thousands of other locations on the internet that, that take our shows and push them out to the, the universe at large. Um, just search for Perf Bites, click subscribe, um, make, make us part of your favorite daily shows. Sure. Like uh, Mike Lyles, just listen to us on the commute every day. Um, the Perf Bytes show and staff are supporters of the Practical Performance Analyst, the Performance Engineering Book of Knowledge, the Computer Measurement Group, the Workshop on Performance and Reliability, and of course, the Software Test Professionals Community of Software Testers. And we hope to see you at the next STPCon. It should be a really good time. And of course, um, I'll also be at the Workshop on Performance and Reliability. If you've never been to a Whopper, you can check out more at the uh, workshop uh, performance-workshop.org, which is very exciting. Thanks for joining us on Perf Bytes. We'll see you on the next episode. Have a great week, everyone.